Grace, and this is the Dope Black Therapist Podcast. Now, I know you're wondering, what's the point of this podcast? Well, I'll tell you. The point of this podcast is to bring awareness to black males, people of color, and pretty much anybody who's interested in learning more about mental health and how it affects us and what we can do to get out of some of the things that bother us. I'm a licensed clinical mental health counselor associate based out of Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm also a licensed clinical addiction specialist associate. So I have a little bit of experience in this field. Now, do I know everything? Hell no. Not by a long shot. I'm still learning just like everybody else is. But what I hope to do is provide some information that can help anybody who's learning how to deal with their mental health or what their mental health issues are. Over this season, we'll be addressing depression, anxiety, PTSD, and a host of other mental health issues that we come into contact with on a daily basis. Now, I'm going to let you know, I was also a firefighter for 14 years, so I might sneak in some fire safety tips as well. Don't let the name sway you from listening. The fact of the matter is that not a lot of people realize that there are black therapists in this world. And let's be real. I am dope. I am black. And I am a therapist. So, here we go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Dope Black Therapist Podcast. I'm your host, Blaze. Let's jump right into it. Now, a lot of times, people have asked me, why haven't you started your podcast yet? When are you going to start something? When are you going to let people know what they can do about mental health? You've been talking about it for years, but you're not doing your own thing. So now I'm like, okay, I finally got brave enough to do it. So I'm going to start doing it. On this episode, I'm going to tell you about me and my story. What got me into mental health? How I got through the things that I've gotten through? And how I keep myself from going back into what I call the sunken place. So, buckle up. Let's do it. Now, before we get started... I'm going to let you know ahead of time that this is going to be a graphic episode. I'm going to go into deep detail about some things that may be disturbing for some people to hear and some people to listen to. One of them being suicide and self-harm. If you are ever dealing with suicidal thoughts or any thoughts of self-harm, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. The number you can reach there is 800 273 8255. Again, that's 800 8255. Someone's there 24 7, 365 days a year. Help is always available. Now, in the beginning, I told you that I was a firefighter for over 14 years. Doing that job, I seen my fair share of shit. Running into burning buildings, 
doing CPR, bad wrecks, suicide attempts, you know, you name it, I've pretty much seen it. But that's not the reason why I was diagnosed with depression. My depression came from going through a divorce. Now, I didn't think that depression was really a thing. I thought that that's something the only white folks really dealt with, you know? I didn't think that me as a black male would ever deal with depression in any kind of way. Never. Never in a million years until it actually happened. So, going through a divorce, and I was pretty much in the worst shape of (laughs) of my life as far as my emotions and everything goes. You know, I was always the person that's so happy-go-lucky that always wants to be sure that everybody else is okay. The one that is taking care of everybody. You know, I never thought that it would be me that needed to be taken care of until this happened. So, you know, my ex and I, we get along great. We co-parent very well now. We are on the same page when it comes to the kids. She's remarried. She's happy. I'm happy for her. We all talk. Everything's great. But up until then, it was really, really tough for me to deal with stuff. So I'm going to take you back to August 2015. Damn. Saying it out loud, it's like, it's, it's hard to believe that this was whew, six years ago when this stuff happened. So, you know, we decided to separate. And I'm thinking it's going to be like, you know, two weeks, everything's going to be cool. But it wasn't. It ended up being a whole lot longer, and it really messed me up, okay? So I was, I dropped a lot of weight because I wasn't eating. I was constantly sad. I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't talking to anyone. I wasn't doing anything at all. I was crying all the time. That's not, that's not shit that I would do. I'm the person, like I said earlier, that would go out and laugh and make, I was the party starter. I was the one that kept everybody happy. I kept the party going, but I didn't have the energy, the drive, nor the want to be that guy. I was in such a bad spot. It was, I wasn't myself. And so one day, you know, she and I, we were talking, and she was, you know, she was coming over to the house, and for whatever reason, she was bringing the guy she was seeing at the time. Now, I was seeing somebody, too, you know, the divorce was amicable, it was no infidelity, none of that stuff, everything was cool, you know, but I wasn't ready to see her with someone else, regardless of if I was with somebody, I couldn't stand inside of sin her with somebody else and I didn't like the guy she was with let's be real he was a was a real asshole but that's neither here nor there so she said she was gonna bring him over to the house and I pretty much lost it I was in so much pain I was in so much pain I wanted my pain to stop so what I did was I went and got the biggest knife 
in my house that I could find. Now, mind you, this has been going on for about about a month or so now, my depression. You know, I dropped like 20 pounds like that. You know, I was crying at the sight of pictures and listening to songs. And, you know, I was crying at almost everything. And I was holding it. I had a, my mask was, yo, when I tell you that my mask was impeccable, my mask was impeccable. People had no idea that I was going through anything at all. And when this happened, it was my breaking point. So I went and got the biggest knife that I had. And I put it to my wrist and I started cutting. And that first cut, I was like, yes, I finally feel something other than this pain and this hurt that I'm dealing with. And I wanted to feel that again. So I kept cutting that second cut. Yes, this is what I've been wanting. This is what I've been needing. This is what has been helping me. But then a third cut, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What in the actual hell are you doing, dude? What are you doing? And something just like slapped me in my face. And I was like, I have to do something about this because this isn't normal. This isn't who I am. This is not what I do. So I didn't know that depression was a thing, really. Like I said, I didn't think it was something that black people dealt with. Nobody taught me how to deal with my feelings. Nobody taught me how to deal with sadness. I could be angry. I could be happy. But sadness was a new one. You know, we're taught at a young age to be strong. Big boys don't cry, you know, or stop crying. I'm going to give you something to cry about. You know, I'm not supposed to be weak. I'm not supposed to show any signs of weakness. I'm supposed to be the strong one. I'm supposed to be the one that makes sure that everybody else is okay. I'm supposed to be sure that everybody's provided for, everybody's safe. But I couldn't. I couldn't. I was in such a bad spot that I didn't want anything else but for my pain to stop. I felt like I was such a burden to everyone. I was so hopeless. I was worthless. I was the lowest scum of the damn earth. That's how bad I felt. That's how bad I felt. That's what that's what I was feeling, and I wanted that pain to stop. And that was the only way that I felt that my pain would stop. So... You know, that hit me, and I was like, yo, let's do something. Let's figure something out, right? So I didn't know where to go. I didn't know who to call. I didn't know about counselors. I didn't know about therapy. I didn't know how to actually find one. So what I did was, I was like, okay, I do know about the psychiatric hospital. I know that if I need something, you know, I can do I can go to this place and these people are going to help me what I need to do. So what I did was I picked up the phone and I dialed a psychiatric hospital. They asked him what was wrong. I told him, I said, yo, I, you know, I just cut my wrist, tried to hurt myself. I need some help. And they told me to pack, you know, pack some clothes and just drive on up. So I did that. I called, uh, I called my grandma. I told her what I was doing. You know, she broke down crying, called a pastor, had a pastor pray for me. I called my cousin, who's like a brother, and let him know what was going on. And 
you know, he was upset. He said, yo, I got you, whatever you need. Just do what you got to do. And I called the kid's mom. And, you know, I packed up the truck. And I headed to this facility, not knowing what to expect. Now, I was the stereotypical dude here. I didn't, only thing I knew about was what I seen on TV. I was automatically thinking like, you know, that movie 12 Monkeys, right? So when you go in, I see people jumping on beds and, and padded rooms and straight jackets and all this kind of shit, right? And I'm like, oh, what the hell did I sign up for? What the hell did I sign up for? What in the hell am I going to be doing while I'm here? Now, the first the first thing when they go in there, I checked in, and it was scary as hell because everything's like jail. You know, they lock the doors behind you, you know, and for good reason. You know, you can't go anywhere, you know, without people watching you. They got orderlies and all that stuff. I remember them taking all of my materials, all my medications, all of my, you know, they took my belt, my shoestrings, all of that stuff, you know, so I wouldn't hurt myself. And I'm going in and I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm about to get into this white jacket and I'm going to be locked up into this padded room. And I go in there and I'm shocked at what I see. I go in there and I see black people, white people, Asian people, Hispanic people, rich people, poor people, every walk of life up in there. I'm like, am I in the right damn place? What what the hell is going on here? This is like this where the padded rooms at? Where where are the damn you know, straight jackets there? Everybody's supposed to be here. Everybody ain't wearing their regular clothes, you know, walking around, talking and all this kind of shit. I'm like, man, I don't Alright. Okay. This okay. And then I, I you know, everywhere we go is supervised, you know, go to lunch, you know, you sit around, you can watch TV, you can do stuff, you know, and it was you know, it was an interesting first day away, you know. So, you know, the first night there I go through, I do my thing, you know, I get checked in and whatnot. Didn't have any beds, so I had to sleep on the floor downstairs. So a very rough first night, but I'm used to sleeping on the floor, but not in a new place. So the next day, you know, they called me back, you know, um, and they, uh, I sit down with a psychiatrist. And he says, so, you know, what's going on? I said, um, I showed him my wrist. I didn't even say anything. I just showed him my wrist, you know. I said, okay. And he said, um, he said, how you been feeling? I said, I've been feeling pretty down lately. You know, I, you know, crying all the time at like the smallest things, you know, I'm a little irritable. You know, I am, you know, I've had suicidal thoughts. I had, you know, this attempt and, you know, I've lost weight. I haven't been eating. I haven't been sleeping. I haven't been doing any of this stuff. Right. And so, you know, and, and I'm like, so tell me, like, what's wrong with me? And he says, oh, you have a, you have major depressive disorder. I'm like, great. The hell does that mean? What, what is, what is that? What, like, like, what is, what is major depressive disorder? Because I've never heard of that. 
I've heard of depression, but I don't know what major depressive disorder is. Like, what does that consist of? And so what I'm doing, what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to give you the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is the DSM-5, which is what we use to diagnose uh, our clients and stuff when they come in or, you know, whenever they come through and, you know, come to see us as therapists, they try to get help, right? So, uh, major depressive disorder, according to the DSM-5, is five or more of the following symptoms being present for the same two-week period and represent a change from previous function. At least one of these symptoms is either depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure. So, these are the characteristics. There are nine of them. The first one is depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day. Two, markedly diminished interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities most of the day, nearly every day. Three, significant weight loss when not dieting or weight gain. Four, insomnia or hypersomnia nearly every day. Hypersomnia is, you know, you sleep too much. Psychomotor agitation or retardation nearly every day. Fatigue or loss of energy nearly every day. Feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt. Diminished ability to think or concentrate or indecisiveness nearly every day. Recurrent thoughts of death. Recurrent suicidal ideation without a specific plan. Or suicide attempt or specific plan for committing suicide. And these symptoms cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. So, out of those nine things, I had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I had eight out of nine of these symptoms. And my thing was, what do I do now? Like, what am I supposed to do with it? You know? So I'm on, I, before I, I go a little bit further, I want to let you all know that a lot of people think that when you hear depression, that sadness is the main thing. But the reality is depression shows up as anger and irritability in men. And I'm pretty sure that you know a whole lot of angry men in your life who have dealt with some stuff who... Deal with it by not deal dealing with it, if that makes sense. All right, so the psychiatrist told me what I was dealing with. He told me how I was going through these things and what it is I needed to do. And he prescribed me some medication. And, you know, I wasn't going to question it. He's a doctor. So I figured he's going to know what was best for me, right? So, um, <clears throat> so I go through that, and then the next thing is group. And I'm sitting in a group of strangers who I don't know from Adam. And they came through and they started talking about the stuff that they were dealing with. They were talking about how they were feeling. And it gets to me and I break down crying right then and there. And I break down because for the first time in months... I finally felt like people understood what I was going through. I finally felt like I was being seen, I was being heard, and that people weren't judging me. 
and it broke me down. And I was like, okay, maybe there's something to this therapy stuff. Maybe there's something here that's going to help me to feel better. So, you know, I learned about, I learned a lot of things through group as far as how to deal with things, how to use journaling as my outlets, how to use grounding exercises, how to use, you know, just exercise to lift my mood. And I learned all of these different types of things. And, you know, five days later, you know, I was let out. So, but one of the things that was really interesting to me while I was in there is that people started coming to me and talking to me about their problems. They told me, they said, Blaze, you seem to have it together. Like you're like you're the type of person that I can easily talk to. You're the type of person who, you know, I feel comfortable telling my stories to. And it's not like like the doctors here. You know, you just feel comfortable. And that's kind of always been my role. People have always come to me and telling me their stuff. And in high school, I remember wanting to be a, uh, <laughs> I wanted to be a guidance counselor because people always came to me with their problems anyway. And I was like, well, shoot, I might as well get paid for it. So <laughs> I go through all this stuff. I get out, I go home and, um, you know, things are, they're okay, but Obviously, people are, you know, concerned about me. They're worried about me. They want me to be okay. And I was already on this journey, and I wanted to continue this journey because I wanted to get better. You know, I wanted to stay better. But (laughs) I left out. My insurance didn't cover the medicine that I was on, and I still had a tough time trying to find a therapist. So... (sighs) So I tried therapy a couple of times, right? The first time I went through um, EAP, through work. And all this stuff's confidential and, you know, and I went in there and I started talking to the therapist and she just didn't really, like, she didn't really work for me, you know? So I stopped going and it was only like three sessions, like, the hell am I going to do with three sessions? I, you know, am I going to be cured after this? Nah, it didn't work like that. So then I went to, I had a black female as my therapist. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a better fit right here. I'm good, you know. But she reminded me of my grandma. And it was a whole lot of stuff. She kind of talked to me like a grandma, like a, like a, like, well, not like a grandma, like an auntie. And she started talking to me like an auntie, and I was just like, nah, 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 this ain't, nah, I don't want this, this is not what I want. Um, and, you know, I stopped talking to her, it wasn't, it wasn't working, I was like, okay, third time's gonna be the charm here, right? So, I find this guy who has a background of working with first responders, and I was like, I'm gonna get this dude a try because he knows the lingo, I don't have to break it down for him, and, you know, he's gonna be cool. The, the the thing, I saw him like three times, but every time he did something that hurt me, he would take out his cell phone, set the timer, and put it on the table face up. And I was seeing the time run down every time we talked. And I was like, yo, you're, you're 
just looking at me as a time slot. Like, you are, like, ready to, like, are, do you really care? And I stopped seeing him, and I was just like, yo, I'm, I'm on my damn own. And I, I, I you know, I'm fresh, I'm fresh out. <laughs> fresh out, fresh out the sight ward. Three therapists don't work for me. No meds. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm going to go, I'm going to backslide like hell. And which I didn't want to do. So I got up and I found myself my own psychiatrist. And I found them and I talked to him. And he was, you know, former, you know, New York. He's a New Yorker. Uh, worked in the ER. Worked with a lot with a fire department up there. I felt real comfortable talking to him. And he got me on the right medication. And, you know, I started feeling a whole lot better once this stuff started kicking in. And, um... But I was going through this stuff, and I was like, yo, if I'm the happy-go-lucky firefighter, you know, now, mind you, I was still going to the fire department while I was doing this stuff, because going to work made me feel like I had a purpose. Like, I knew what I was going to do, and when I was at work, I was focused on work. I wasn't thinking about my personal issues, because when I was at work, it gave me a task. I was distracted, you know, and it was, I was thriving. I think I was the best firefighter that I had ever been when I was going through that stuff. You know, I was never breaking down. I was never doing any of that stuff at work. I was doing my damn thing and doing my thing real damn well. But it got me to thinking, if I have gone through this, if I'm going through this, how many other firefighters will go through this? And so I decided, fuck it, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to go be a therapist for firefighters, police, EMS, dispatchers. And that's what I did. I started school in August of 2016, went to North Carolina Central University, go Eagles. And I started the whole process of mental health and learning about diagnosis and how to build rapport and how to deal with certain things and how to, you know, actually talk to people, get people to talk and all these things. And I was just like, yo, this is exactly what I need. This is what I needed to do. And so I'm going through and, um, I don't have a therapist yet. And, uh, I finally find somebody and I will be forever grateful and thankful for her she's uh she is amazing and uh she uh she helped me work through my shit and she saw me and she heard me and she didn't judge me and she had a background you know she worked with uh she works with um she worked for the police, and so she okay. She worked. She worked for the police. That she knew exactly the shit that I've seen, the shit that I've dealt with, and the things that first responders go through. Right. So let me before I even go into that, let me tell you a little bit about the culture of the fire service, police, EMS, all that stuff. Right. So the culture of first responders is we're not supposed to show any weakness. You know, we're supposed to deal with things and keep it moving because five minutes 
down the road, you might see something worse than what you saw before. You're supposed to pick yourself up and keep it going. Nothing is supposed to ever affect you in any way, shape, form, or fashion. You have to have nerves of steel. You got to have the biggest nuts on the damn planet to be able to do the stuff we're supposed to do because nothing's supposed to affect you. Right now, now, let's look at this. With that culture that you're supposed to damn be this brave man or woman, you know, in the fire service, nothing's supposed to affect you. Take that to being a black man where you're not supposed to be able to let anything bother you or affect you. And, you know, you're supposed to suck it up and just deal with everything. It's a whole lot of shit that you're holding on to. It's a whole lot of anger that you're holding on to, a whole lot of sadness that you're hanging on to. So much trauma everywhere. Trauma, trauma, damn trauma. And we don't have a place to let it out. And so when I saw her, she was like, yo, I'm going to help you work through this because I, you know, I know the struggle. I know what it's like. I know your language. I speak your language. Let me help you get to where you need to be. And so Paula, you know, thank you, Paula. I appreciate you. Uh, for everything that you have done and helped me to get to where I am now. I wouldn't be half the dude I am now if it wasn't for your guidance and you helping me through that stuff. So thank you wholeheartedly. So, <clears throat> so moving right along, she helped me through my stuff uh, and she helped me with a process uh, and it was called, I thought it was just going to be, you know, because when you're in, in school, man, you know, they taught you one way to deal with stuff. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to feel anything. You're not supposed to. Uh, <laughs> you're not supposed to. Um, you're supposed to keep it as 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 minimal content, uh, minimal speaking as possible. You know the way that I learned therapy is not the way that I do therapy. It's like somebody told me once: go to grad school and learn it graduate and unlearn it and because the way that I was taught therapy is not the way that I do therapy and if I did therapy the way that I was taught bruh I uh, they wouldn't work right now so she taught me like a real person she talked she cussed in sessions we talked you know it was it was amazing it was everything that I damn needed and that's I wanted to be like her when it came to doing my therapy, not, you know, I wasn't as, as, as hard as she is, you know, but I needed to be able to be myself because I know that if I'm authentic, people are going to relate to that a whole lot more, especially with the crowd that I wanted to work with. And, you know, I started my internship and, uh, I started, you know, I was myself. I was doing these things and people started opening up and it was so great. And then, you know, I'm still dealing with everything, but I'm at a point where I'm using my coping mechanisms. I'm working out, I'm eating, I'm sleeping, I'm talking to people, I'm making myself go out, I'm having these efforts, I'm doing all this stuff like I need to do. And it was one of the most amazing feelings I ever had. It's the best I felt in a long time. Okay. Uh, oh, so the process that she... I'm getting ahead of myself. The process that she used with me is called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing or EMDR. And the best way that I can explain it to you is like, you know how if you get stuck 
you know, you're feeling all the stuff that you're feeling. You feel like you're stuck. You can't move forward. EMDR pretty much makes bad shit less bad. It doesn't erase the memory. It doesn't erase how you feel. But it does take the sting out of it. So how you feel doesn't affect how you operate, how you make decisions, how you interact with people. And that's one of the main treatment modalities that I use with my clients. But we'll get onto that a little bit later on uh, in the season. So so I'm doing this, doing this therapy, doing my internship, taking my meds, getting to a point where I can wean myself off with the help of my psychiatrist. You know, and I'm doing all these things and I'm feeling good. You know, I graduate and I start doing therapy on my own. And at first, it was slow going. And I didn't think that I was going to be able to get people to come through. I didn't think I was going to be able to have people speak to me or people would want to speak to me or what I know the right things to say. And my primary audience was first responders. And I was like, shit, this is not going to do my damn thing. I'm not going to be able to do this. I was, I felt like I was limiting myself. But then I was like, the more I thought about it, I was like, holy shit. I need to work with black folks and I need to work with all kinds of people of color because we don't have outlets. We don't think that we have outlets. And Joe, I can't tell you how amazing it is now to be a dope black therapist and have so many clients of color. Representation matters, and people don't get that. The majority of my clients are male. And I'll say about half of my clients are black males. And the thing that I really enjoy about that is that one of the things, one of my clients, you know, my first year doing therapy full-time, I was all telehealth, you know, no in-person sessions. And a lot of the clients, they didn't, they never saw me firsthand. You know, they heard my name or they, they, you know, somebody told a friend of a friend. A lot of my re- uh, referrals come from word of mouth, which is awesome. And <laughs> the brother got on and he saw my face. He's like, Whew. oh, God, it's a brother. Thank you. Thank you. And it's like, you know, you can just see like the tension just ease out. You know, and they're just like, yo, I feel like I can talk. I can be who I am and I can let this stuff out. And you get out, I have to break stuff down. I have to explain these things. And, you know, it's such a great feeling to know that I can be, that I represent comfort for so many people. And the things that I do now, I I do this because I genuinely care and I genuinely love people I want to help people I am a rescuer but uh, that's the uh, that's the uh, re- that's I'm a rescuer yes that could be a blessing and it could be a curse <laughs> because when you are a rescuer or a fixer you're always trying to work on other people and you put yourself on the back burner that's one of the things that I was taught and I had to reel in because I kept putting everybody else ahead of me And doing that, I was making myself unhappy. 
I was making myself unhappy. And I was pouring from a very empty cup. And you can't fill other people's cup when yours is empty. So I started pouring into my own. And I take my mental health very, very seriously. I don't let anyone jeopardize my mental health. If something or someone approaches me and it doesn't make me feel like myself, or if I feel like I am backsliding or going towards a sunken place, nah, I don't deal with that shit, bro. I don't. And I start doing things that's going to be better for me. So what do I do? to help me deal with my depression. Oh, by the way, with the help of my psychiatrist, I we made a plan to wean myself off of my depression medication. And, you know, we came up with a plan and we broke it down gradually. And I'm proud to say that I haven't been on medication for four years. Now, does that mean I'm cured? Hell no. Hell no. That depression monster still rears its ugly head on several occasions. But I have tools that help me to kick that son of a bitch in the face. So what do I do? I do a lot of journaling. I write so much. Not just when I'm upset, though. I write when I'm doing great as well and I think that's one of the things that a lot of people forget to do that you don't have to just write when you're sad you can write and document the good things as well and I do that now my journal has paint in it it's me coloring I write rap sometimes I write poems I sometimes I just write period one of the things that you can do is set a timer for 10 minutes Or if that's too long, set it for five. And as soon as that timer, as soon as you set that timer, just start writing. No rhyme or reason. No method to your madness. Just write what you feel. And when that timer stops, you stop. Another thing that I do, I work out. I love to work out. I do Muay Thai. I've been training Muay Thai for a long time. And I have a heavy bag, and I beat the P.O.T. shit out of my heavy bag. I can't tell you how many times I've cried, punching and kicking and letting this stuff out. You know, if my heavy bag isn't available, I'll go for a walk. I'll lift weights. I'll do step, uh, step aerobics. I dance. I'll sing. I do what makes me feel good. I play with my kids. That's one of the biggest things. Oh, my gosh. Playing with my kids is one of the best things in the whole wide world. That's how I do that. I use grounding exercises. I meditate. You know, sometimes I just grab a pillow and just scream into my pillow. And if I need to cry, I cry. So grounding doesn't have to be necessarily meditation or deep breaths. You can go fishing. That's relaxing. You can go hang out with your people. That's relaxing. You can sit in silence. You do what you have to do to feel better. It doesn't, as long as you're not hurting yourself or anyone else, you're good. The main thing is to take care of you because you matter. You are loved.
You are valued. You are dope as hell. So that's the first episode of the Dope Black Therapist Podcast. Thanks for sitting with me. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you on the next go-round. Peace.